Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. Look, I don't want to um, just make it about gender, but I do think there are some inherent challenges that women probably face disproportionately to men, in particular around the inflexibility of training programs. So like... um, medicine is very much like a conveyor belt. Like you go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. And in a lot of ways that's great because you don't have to make a lot of decisions early on. Yeah. But in some ways it's hard because it's so rigid. So if they have one person that wants to work flexibly, either part-time or takes a, a chunk of time off or um, work in a um, partial capacity, uh, it's just not possible. Great to be back with you here, as always. We are proud to be sponsored by the terrific folk at Neon Treehouse, still the best digital agency on the planet Earth, and what a wonderful job they've been doing uh, promoting humans of purpose and doing all our social media and marketing work to enable me to focus on other things. So thanks to the team and really what a great partnership it's been over a year and a half. Thanks also to Creole, who are our drink sponsor, and you can get a 15% discount off their refreshing, tasty, alcohol-free beverages, lovely iced teas for the summer. Um, So check out the show notes for a 15% discount uh, on checkout at their store also, their online shop. This week on Humans of Purpose, I'm really excited to bring you a more relaxed sort of catch-up episode with my wife, Dr. Louise Segan. Dr. Louise Segan, PhD, uh, is a research uh, fellow, consultant cardiologist, um, and a PhD researcher. Um, so she is doing her fellowship at the moment in cardiac, I think it's electrophysiology, EP and pacing. And she's at the Alfred Health, uh, Alfred Hospital, and also at the Baker um, Heart and Diabetes Institute. She's doing a really terrific job um, at all her work, and I've never known that a PhD could be so difficult and time-consuming for something that's essentially free uh, and in the advancement of science and medicine generally. But this is a great catch-up. We talk a lot about uh, what our journey's been like as new parents with our lovely six-month-old son, Marlo. Uh, We talk a lot about um, how the dynamic has changed and sort of the challenges and opportunities and exciting times we're facing, the juggling of work and home life, um, and also just some really interesting conversation around the persistent gender inequality and the, or the gender equality gaps in medicine and cardiology and what Louise is doing as a tireless advocate in the space to ensure better um, gender equality uh, outcomes in the field. So really excited for you to hear all about that and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Louise as much as I did. So what a thrill to be back here with the wife. We haven't done this for a long time, Lulu. How long's it been? Takes me back to I can't even remember which country we're in. I feel like yeah, Easter Island. We're in some strange <laughs> spa. I'm pretty sure we did it in a spa. The um, podcast, I mean. Yeah, good. It's it's important to clarify <laughs> what you mean. Thank you. Good opening. It came there. out the wrong way. It did come out extremely suggestive, but good clarification earlier. Yeah. And so massive couple of years for us since you've been on the podcast. Um, we had a son that seems to be going okay. 
We still have a son. Yeah, he's still here. He's asleep now. And um, we're actually doing a podcast from the bedroom for the very first time. Who yeah, would have thunk the it? the technology's come a long way. Technology has come a long way. How do you feel being a mum and a working professional? And tell me everything about how you're feeling about the current moment. Gee, that's a very loaded question. There's a lot to cover there. Um, I think first and foremost, uh, you can't really understand what being a parent is like until you go through it. I think I used you to probably hate it when agree. People said that to me. I know it's, it's so condescending, but actually, it's true. Yeah. Just because a lot of things do change, and your whole world kind of revolves around the health and well-being of your child. Are you talking about Cyril or Marlo? Uh, predominantly Marlo. I had to think about in that the bed for a right now as well. So. He's okay. Yeah. He matters. He's pretty healthy generally. He's the second banana, no doubt. Um, yes. So, <laughs> yeah, he's moved down the pecking order, <laughs> you could say. definitely slightly down the pecking order. Yeah. Um, so, I'm in a house full of boys, so that's different. The ratio is more against my favour. There's a lot of gender inequality going on in the household. Yes, but I will say… How do you say, defend against it? Um, I probably haven't felt the full effects just yet, but I suspect when Marlo's older, it'll become a bit more sort of apparent. We need we need to guard against toxic masculinity somehow. Yep. I guess, given your stone <laughs> face, that would be my role. Obviously, as you know, I'm doing a lot of work in that space professionally, so I have a lot of loaded opinions, but probably not, you know, we probably can't get into it all tonight. It wouldn't be a bad time to get into it. We have to talk about something for 40 minutes, so (laughs) why don't we talk about the state of your current work and how you've structured the year to enable you to be both a mum but also a cardiologist on the speaking circuit. Congratulations. Thanks. Thank you. Um, Yeah, uh, first and foremost, I should say I'm really impressed to see – leaders in the field that are starting to give a platform and championing um, junior people like myself. So my boss is really good in that regard and he's he articulated well. He said, you know, there's no point me getting, you know, pl- thousands of opportunities to speak and not sharing that with my students. So he does uh, make a point of trying to, you know, give us opportunities to improve our speaking and confidence and also build our networks. So shout and, out to Prof K and Prof Kislaw. That's right, yeah. So they've been really fantastic mentors in that regard because it's you know not always um not everybody finds themselves in the fortunate position to get a leg up um when they're starting their career so I'm really grateful for that um in terms of the way I've structured things um I took as you know you've lived through it um took off three months from of maternity leave and it's a bit tricky in my field because there's not a lot of um there's not really good maternity or parental leave policy. So um, it was really tricky trying to navigate the balance between, um, you know, having financial stability yeah. but also making sure I had enough time with Marlo, you know, in the early stages. Yeah. And it went pretty quickly. Yeah. I was going to say this financial instability is also like, you know, part of having one partner working in the not-for-profit sector and the and other, other one, one doing a PhD. PhD. <laughs> it's sort of like… They're a match made in heaven. Yeah, it's a match made in heaven. We should definitely uh, lower We should have more people doing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but like doing… I mean, yeah, so it was hard for you to get the mat leave and… You know, the decision to go back at three months I think was great for you because, I mean, it was important for your well-being and to feel reconnected to work, right? Yes, but I am um, – sorry to segue for a minute, but it, um, I was reminded today of sort of the um, inconveniences of the current system um, because I spent, you know, about the good part of an hour or more maybe on the phone to Centrelink and I'm sure a lot of people in your audience can identify with this, but – there is probably nothing more painful than I've had to 
undertake than doing childcare subsidy claim forms. Oh, my God. I'm so that happy you really took bad. on that responsibility. That, yeah. that seemed awful. Well, I took it on, but I didn't obviously do it very well because we got cut off last week. So <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't your Big, fault. big fail there. You did a pretty good so job. So shout out to team. all of those people who've navigated it without needing to spend an hour on the phone to yeah, Centrelink. Yeah. Shout out to anyone who can deal with Centrelink in under an hour, which is apparently <laughs> very rare. The other thing that stands out about your mat leave and having to sort of take it was – Having to fill out five different mat leave application forms is yep. insane. Talk about that. Yes. Where do I begin? Um, I'm very um, lucky to be the recipient of a NHMRC and Heart Foundation scholarship. They, without them, I wouldn't actually be receiving any income, so I'm very grateful. And they provide a stipend for um, sort of living costs during your PhD. Um, and uh, unfortunately, even though these systems sometimes work well together, I found out the hard way that they don't work well together when it comes to parental leave. And so I had to apply to every different institution that's involved in my PhD, including the university and the academic institution and the clinical institution. So as you said, it ended up being five separate parental leave applications. That, and that gets you fairly busy. Uh, it kind of made me regret applying for leave i thought i should just have gone on leave and just not told anyone but the the dad paperwork is also not great i mean because not being recognized as being the potential to be an equal or sort of uh you know a, a care on equal footing um i think was it took me a long time to figure out how to get dad or partner leave which was also like a bit tricky um having said tell that, the work was really audience good how long you got Oh, yeah. So my mine was shocking. I got a total of two weeks and it was very good of my employer to actually um, top up the Centrelink allowance and pay me my full two weeks wage. But but actually then, we ended up having four days. Yeah, because, because he, the young man <laughs> decided to arrive a little bit. Well, no, late. it wasn't. That's not what happened. Um, because, of the, because of the flow on effects from COVID, we actually had a false start. That's we had right, a planned induction right. date and then we got um, – That's one thing I actually thought that you moved. couldn't be delayed on, like giving birth. <laughs> well, when it's planned, you can, I suppose. Like, um, I we were basically like, – the, the call went late, like this. It was a, I'll, I'll give the context. It was a phone call at Friday night where you really can't do anything. Supposed to go in on a Sunday. Friday night phone call, sorry, um, you're too well uh, and we don't have enough staff, so you're going to have to wait a Hold week to have your child. Hold it in. Yeah. So and so at that point I'd already taken a week's leave, I think, or something like that. I think you were planned to – Yeah, for the following you. week, yeah. And then um, – Oh, we, I think we should probably cover the, the birth story as well. That's pretty okay, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, just keep it, you know, yeah. oh, keep, keep, keep it, it kosher. Keep it, um, yeah, keep, keep it kosher. So the best part was – No, best part for me was when I was in labour and you were sleeping on the patient's bed and I was curled up in a ball on the floor. That was the best part I don't remember me. any of that. Yeah, of uh, course. You were I, having a nap. Can, all I can speak to is being so tired and being in the room. <laughs> From what? Just it's, it's – life is tiring sometimes. And like oh, I think the emotion of it all and just it all coming together at the same time and then you said to me, this is probably going to take a while. Why don't you go home? Well, and that's what I thought. <laughs> so you go – Everyone go, told me first Louise, time. You said go home and have a sauna. So I did go home and have a sauna because you know that's my favourite stress release yeah. thing to do. And then I'm – I'm in a full sweat, half an hour in. It's 4.40 on a um, Wednesday or Thursday afternoon. Is it, uh, Thursday, yeah. Thursday afternoon and like peak hour traffic coming from Elston Week to go anywhere. And then get this call from the from – the, 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 it, it was the, me. The nurse? Or no, was it was it me. So you, you, and you said, look, um, you better come in because either 
No, no, it wasn't you who called it me. It was me. Else. No, it was me. Are you sure? Yes. Said, look, um, if you don't can't get no. here in the next 10 or 15 minutes, um, the doctor's not here, no one else is here, but I'm about to have the baby, so you might want to get in the car and Do you get want to hear here. about it from my perspective okay, or go, just go. your yeah. – I actually was there. <laughs> All right. Well, so basically well, – I was on the phone to you. Basically um, – they say that it takes a long time the first time and to expect it can go up for hours or days. So um, I did feel like I went into active labour, but I kept being told by the staff that I was not in labour and it was just the warm-up and I thought, okay, well, this is pretty bad. <laughs> I don't want to know what comes next. If this is entree, I'm not so, sure what the main course. I don't want to divide the audience, but basically I was like, where's the epidural? <laughs> Took a couple of yeah, hours. You, you were like a total mess I was the it was very painful and it was quite funny because I was watching you just be your normal <laughs> stoic self and trying to grit through it and then you were like oh fuck it give me the epidural <laughs> I think <laughs> I, well, then, I then you were yeah. really funny you were well, once I had the epidural form. I felt much better and that would have been uh, that was at like two thirty, three o'clock yeah. or something and then I told Mike to go off and I thought I'll get on the computer get on my emails um you know speak to a few trial That's patients what normal people do during do my database pregnancy. I had a lot of emails oh, so yeah. I was sort of sorting that out and then she said to me oh Oh, they started the medication that helps the contractions and I'll, she came in and she said, oh, baby's not really liking that. Do you mind lying on your side? And I was like, that's really inconvenient. I can't answer emails on my side. <laughs> so I had to put my computer away and then still was getting the beeping noises on the machine. So she was obviously not happy and she said, oh, I think baby's just not happy. We might have to turn this medicine off. I'll just do an exam and then phone the um, obstetrician. So she gets ready to do the exam, getting her equipment or whatever and um, asked me to, you know um, – Position myself appropriately. Assume the position. Correct. And then she didn't even do anything. She literally took one look and she's like, oh, can you close your legs? Um, so I'm going to have to call the obstetrician now because um, the baby's head is crowning. So for those that don't know, the ba- that's when <laughs> the baby's amazing. head is basically protruding yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. So she kind of asked me to kind of grit and sort of don't push and try and hold things in and don't, you know, don't do anything. Just don't stay exhale. very still. Don't exhale. So I thought, oh, gosh. So she called the obstetrician. I called Mike and I said, oh, Mike, I know that I told you, you know, it's going to be a while, but actually it's um, happening. And uh, if you can, it'd be great if you can get in. And he's like, oh, when? And I'm like, no, now. <laughs> I don't know if you're getting <laughs> getting the point. And uh, then we decided that, you know, there's a 50-50 chance that um, either the obstetrician would arrive, Mike would arrive, or the baby would arrive first. But thankfully... Um, it was the obstetrician followed my, by Mike and then followed by Marlo. Yeah, there are three fifties there, so it's kind of mathematically complicated. But <laughs> I, I get what you were saying. I get what you're saying. There's like an equal chance that each thing, each permutation could happen. Yes, and, and then really, luckily, I think I arrived after Saul. You um, did, yes. And after, like, it took literally two pushes, and then out flew Marlo. It's amazing. <laughs> and I, we still didn't know the gender we at didn't. that point. We so didn't. I, at that point, I was so like did overwhelmed. You know the no. Uh, well, I'm not looking down there. I was just yeah. focusing on whatever I was doing. Emails? Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I'd totally forgotten that I needed to fight, clarify the gender. <laughs> and then Mike, I just hear Mike somewhere off in the distance say, it's a boy, oh, my gosh. So that was I pretty was, special. I was pretty happy. Not in a sexist way. It was just, it was just so – it's just special. I, there's yeah. something special about it. It's very hard to explain. Like, yes. I think It's very overwhelming, that moment. It's incredibly overwhelming, but to see him and just like – in his wholeness yeah. just after being born. Yeah. I'll never forget it. I will say I was a bit terrified because he can't, once he, when he's inside, it's like, I don't have to do anything. I can just walk around and he, I just carry him wherever. I've got free hands. I, it's really hard to like do, you know, stuff up, right? Like, so you wish he was back in there? No, I'm just saying at the time. And then when he came out, I was like, oh my God, I actually have to like look after this thing now. 
Yeah. What do I do? It's pretty um, harsh induction the first few months. Yeah, yeah. Pretty uh, testing times and um, like the nickname that you came up with for him. Oh, yes. Sort of sums it all up. Yeah. Go on. Uh, <laughs> so the first – well, I guess the first few days he was quite sleepy but then he very quickly um, moved out of that – transitioned out of that phase and then became a bit more noisy or rowdy. And um, I remember, I, you know, trying to rock him to sleep one – day or a couple of days in a row and I'm like well you just shushy already and then <laughs> then I decided to call him shushy and then it sort of stuck even though he is very quiet now he's incredibly quiet <laughs> but uh, it almost, almost never makes noise unless he's incredibly upset yeah. so that's funny <laughs> that's right yeah. that's really funny and so well, how about the balance now now you've gone back three days yeah and how are you finding the PhD and everything else because you know we have been up to the Gold Coast you did a remarkable conference presentation up there and won a prize and did amazing stuff and now you're off to Singapore so you're managing to be a mum work part-time and also be on the circuit well look I think um first I'll say when I wasn't yet back at work I think I did have this yearning for like a little bit of um sort of cognitive stimulus yeah. yeah and um i just felt like i just needed that outlet because day in day out, i love spending time with him but i just felt like my brain was sort of melting and so i think that was really important for me to go back when i did uh, in a part-time capacity just to be able to like exercise my brain yeah um but I then see you kind of like you kind of looked at times like you'd lost a bit of who you think you were or yeah. your, your sense of identity. A yeah, bit. for me, um, my profession and, and work is a big part of my identity. So that was very important for me to like feel that um, familiarity and get back into things. And and it's difficult too because part of my PhD, a big part of it is um, running two big clinical trials and I just really felt like I needed to kind of get back into the swing of that and just make sure things are running okay because, you know, that's a huge undertaking and um, although I've got a great team working with me, I do need – I do feel very responsible for it. So, yeah, it was really good to get back in but certainly challenging, um, especially trying to factor in um, childcare drop-offs and pickups, and obviously working around sickness. So, you know, he's been sick a few times and we've had to work around who stays home and who takes sick yeah. leave and stuff. So that I was definitely it, tricky. I find it interesting like how time changes when you have a kid. Like I, I think that like – you know, um, I was sort of talking to a guy I'm working with mentoring and sort of thinking to myself, like, what would be the best way to describe how to manage time to a younger person? I was sort of thinking, like, if you could do the exercise of imagining you had a kid mm. and you manage your time within that prism. But I think a lot of – some people kids. do it differently. Like some parents, I imagine, have a much more flexible schedule and they just go with the flow. I think with us – Do you mean we, ones that don't work or ones that oh, just have – either. Yeah. I think it's just um, with us, you know, certainly for me anyway, I work much better with a routine. Oh, I love routine. So like the predictability and – I love predictability. No, it's good. I, I think for us it's worked incredibly well to do the – Sleep school, childcare, all that kind of jazz together has given us a really good formula for success. And I think it's enabled you to go back to work, which is really important. You're doing really well in your work. Tell us about where you're at with your, your PhD and um, and how, how come you are everywhere now on LinkedIn, winning prizes. You're sort of going a little bit I viral. I think that's mostly you posting about me everywhere. <laughs> I do. I'm very grateful for the I endorsement. I have said to you that my best, the posts that do the best for me ones are just t- talking about you, which says something about my overall oh, that's really nice. profile. <laughs> um, look, I think a, a huge um, passion area for me has always been around um, gender equity or inequity and in medicine it's a really big problem 
And so a side project for me has been how do we um, improve the experience for people going forward because I think I've faced a few challenges along the way. What are the unique barriers that women face as opposed to men in medicine? Um, Look, I don't want to um, just make it about gender, but I do think there are some inherent challenges that women probably face disproportionately to men, in particular around the inflexibility of training programs. So like... um, medicine is very much like a conveyor belt. Like you go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. And in a lot of ways that's great because you don't have to make a lot of decisions early on. Yeah. But in some ways it's hard because it's so rigid. So if they have one person that wants to work flexibly, either part-time or takes a, a chunk of time off or um, work in a um, partial capacity, uh, it's just not possible. Yeah, I think medicine is really interesting, like especially when we talk how it took you a really long time to understand like other people's careers who aren't in medicine because yes. you're just not used to it, like there's no structure. Well, it's much more fluid, which is yeah, good in you, some ways. There's pros and cons. It's basically choose your own adventure. Yeah, and I think that's good in a lot of ways, especially for people who are wanting a lot of change and a lot of autonomy and decisions. So I yeah. think it's good in that regard. And certainly medicine, because of its inflexibility, one of the biggest issues is just around being um, unfavourable in people in their sort of um, in the peak um, of their fertility or childbearing years. And that's not everyone wants to necessarily have kids either, but even a time where you might want to build a relationship or travel or do other things, it's just not really conducive to that. And, you know, in our situation, I very much felt that, trying to have a child while I was doing my um, specialty training was just not an option and f- partly for the f- one reason that I was seconded, you know, um, to Did live in a want? different city yeah. um, for two years. That was rough. And that made it impossible and also the working conditions. It was just impossible, like working and on call all the time. I remember there were multiple weekends where I went up to Geelong to visit you and um, sometimes I wouldn't see you. <laughs> I just end up like watching job. a TV show on the couch with Cyril yeah. and then passing and, out and then going home. Yeah, it's tough. And it was a really lonely time in, yeah. in a lot of ways just because For there wasn't both. that social element. It really was a lot of work. And that's probably partly my um, the way that I am as well in terms of well, what I put into in. the job. It's yeah. understandable. But I think, yeah, like that – that um, idea that you just send people anywhere and you don't really give them much choice and, you know, that where there's a real lack of choice or autonomy, I mean, it's going to hit women a lot harder than men, yeah. particularly in child potential childbearing years. Yes, and one of the big things I'm now discovering is a lot of other trainees are facing the same issue because of this um, historical mandatory rural term, which means a portion of your time is spent in a rural or regional location. Um, a lot of people with young families are finding it really challenging. Either they can't source childcare when they move, they uproot their family, or they can't afford to move um, because they're having to service two different, uh, you know, a mortgage and a rental property. Yeah. Um, they can't get into a childcare centre because they're that a overburdened. Bit, um, outrageous that the accommodation when you do a rural placement isn't paid for by the. Well, it's really unusual. Um, because I remember the person who was in their third year of training was only there for six months and they got put up in the hospital accommodation. If I'd been given that option, I may have taken it up, Um, even though it's, you know, very basic. Can I bring Cyril into the hospital and eat grilled there? Um, I think you did, but I don't think you can. (laughs) (laughs) Cyril actually did ward rounds. 
Do I remember, remember that. Yeah. yeah, bringing Cyril in for it's the water. Sort of they loved not him. Not ideal, but um, I him. think the patients really um, it really boosted I think the dogs morale. Are good for hospitals. Yeah, but really. he's not a therapy dog. He he couldn't be because he bites occasionally <laughs> uh, middle sized children. Oh, he barks at them. He doesn't bite them. He barks oh at my them for gosh. sure. Okay, he doesn't just bite. Just giving him a bad rap. Yes, yeah, sorry, Cyril. I know you're sitting right there. He does definitely bark at mid sized children. He's never That's bitten anybody. Okay, he has not bitten people. Anyway, okay, agree to disagree. Um, yeah, so what – I mean, let's talk numbers a little bit. Like mm-hmm. what percentage of the medical workforce is female? So very interesting. We, uh, we've actually just um, – we've published a few papers on this topic, myself and a couple of colleagues. But basically there's this concept and for some weird reason this holds true, rings true in whichever country you visit, that the there is actually gender parity and in fact women represent a greater proportion – of medical graduates than men now. So they've out now outnumbered men in terms of medical graduates from med school. But the system has not yet evolved to meet the needs of women generally. Well, as as they progress through their career after graduation, uh, there's a stepwise attrition of females along the way. So as they go from, say, intern to residency and then into specialty programs and then into positions of leadership off, and it? academia, it drops off dramatically. So it's yeah. called the leaky pipeline. It's actually a – there's actually a, a – a, coined term for this phenomenon yes so um it's and that only applies to females the leaky pipeline oh um good question i'm not sure i imagine it has um it it could be applicable to other groups but But it's not described to the same it's just for this it just means women who drop out of medicine not drop out of medicine per se, but as you go along the ranks, there yeah. are less and less women represented as a proportion of so overall So the senior workforce people. is far less fe- yes, female. Yes, that's the right way to put it. the general workforce might Correct. be more. Yep. So that's very concerning. What are the major institutions doing to tackle this? Not much. Okay. Good answer. <laughs> so I will say um, the hospital I work at has actually hired, I believe, a gender equity um, consultant, I think it's called. Yep. So they're trying to look at ways that they can better um, promote gender diversity. So and I think that's what, good. What are the types of things that would be would make a difference? What does the evidence tell us works in these cases? Um, Systemic yeah. change-wise. So I guess it's there's probably you have to tackle it, number one, you have to tackle it early. So this is going to people in med school or in the early formative years and um, – promoting, you know, being visible role models and showing them that there's a range of career paths within medicine that they can take and basically the sky's the limit. So making it feel as though they can pursue any avenue, you know, that that they may be interested in. So that's the first thing. I guess um, there's this thought that it's partly systems-based, so having improving um, female representation, making space for female leaders in academia and in leadership positions in like head of department and that sort of thing. Um, Females uh, mentoring or um, supporting other females and men championing females. So it's this whole concept of sort of giving back. And I think people, we're still not doing that very well. We call that he for she. He for she and she for she. So I think what... what, she for she like... Do we take that as a given or is it often not no. she for she medicine? Uh, it's really interesting. I'm probably going to be unpopular for saying this, but I think um, there, on paper there's this idea that, yes, we should help the women who are coming through because we had it hard. Yep. But what actually I have observed is that it tends to be, no, no, we've had it hard and so it's just hard. And there's and not you should really have to cop this, it as well. There's not this, yeah. There's, it's a rite of passage. Well, I think it's an unspoken 
Um, I've observed the pattern. same thing, observing you and some of your female colleagues. I think they're lovely, but I think there is this kind of, I want to say, weird thing where it's like you are kind of all working together, but at the same time you're not. Yeah. Well, that's right. It's almost a bit like I need to get ahead, yeah. so I just need to like do what I have to do to get ahead. It's like we're, we're in a group of interests that are not well represented at the top. But by virtue of that, we're kind of internally competitive. Yeah, and I think um, the things that I think people could be doing in this space, for example, if someone who's in a senior position is asked to write an, a paper about something, they should find, seek younger people, not younger necessarily, but junior people in the ranks and invite them to co-author a paper. Yep. Or if you get invited for a speaking opportunity, you should – give that opportunity or give an opportunity to someone who is your junior who might benefit from that exposure. And maybe preferably a female given that there's a lack of balance. absolutely. So I think it's those little acts that are just not happening. I've not seen that. Well, have you seen on the speaking tour, when when you do sort of panels and, you know, talks and whatever, are you seeing a good mixed representation? Uh, It varies. I think there's a lot of pressure now for faculty, like scientific meetings, to have better gender parity um, or gender representation, but it really varies. So in the procedural fields, like in my field and in um, which is in electrophysiology and in um, intervention, which is like stenting and um, the so-called the plumbing part of the heart, there's um, it's improving, but there's still more skewed. Um, you know, not not enough females representing those um, sort of procedural. Uh, interventional spaces. Yeah, and I think one thing that I saw, which is probably just speaking more to practicalities than theory or systems, is like when we went to the Gold Coast for the CSANS conference, the fact that they had like a daycare centre there. um, Yeah, I think that was the first time they've done it. Yeah, I was blown away by that. I thought, why doesn't every conference have this? Because the presumption if you don't have it is that a woman who has a child can't really attend a conference. Yeah. Is that right? Like, because how else could you go? Yeah, I think. Unless there was a man at home or the partner at or home. Or a nanny or yeah, something. Yeah, a nanny. Yeah. Like, it, it kind of gives you that option. And I think that's like an enabler that should, 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 should sort of be everywhere. Yeah, yeah I think that's know. definitely the push more towards having that those sort of services available to, um, prom- you know, enable um, – that's females. just like a small visible thing that's saying, yes, you're welcome here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, th- it was also the first year that they've provided a, a um, carer's like award yep. to subsidise travel for Which somebody. Which I won, by the way. <laughs> I don't know if you could say you won it if I applied for it. I think I can. <laughs> I am the carer. Okay, next time you're going to do the paperwork. <laughs> I won at Centrelink as well. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. funny. And so like, so there's the visible things, like there's panels, composition, there's providing the right services at conferences to encourage people to attend, there's awards, there's prizes. What else could be done kind of at the institute? What would you like to see the major institutions do? It's tricky because it's, it's complex to explain, but in medicine I'm not sure. I mean – Is it providing better maternal leave options or flexibility? Well, the, the – the um, provisions or, or policies around that are actually not dictated by the individual institution. It's actually the overarching, the College of Physicians yep. that runs all of that. So, yeah, we do need 
updated policies like um, as you're aware the flexible training policy although it sort of exists it's very generic and outdated and I know there's about 7,000 committees at the RACP that work feverishly on achieving not too much <laughs> uh, I think I'll uh, choose to abstain from answering that that's question. your right that's your right no, <laughs> but, but, I, but I will say um, getting uh, sort of influencing change in the college takes a long time you've got yep. to be super patient and you generally get maybe a quarter of what you ask for. That's not bad. Well, I think that's probably generous. But yes, yeah. Is it more I, like an eight. Look, I think it's very, um, it's it's wonderful to see that the college now has a female um, president, and one of her major platforms is um, promoting gender equality. That's so good. Um, through that process, I'm hoping that will drive some of these initiatives, like having part time and flexible training options. And this is also for all trainees so some people have other interests that might um they might want to pursue while they're doing their training it doesn't necessarily have to be having children or being a female like it it strikes me as weird that for such a scientific um ancient and important profession that it's so slow to adapt on this front compared to other industries yeah and what do you think that is just previous male domination and um thinking about the most correct way to answer this question uh there's a lot of influence um it's influenced heavily by people who are not facing the contemporary trainee experience okay so there's a lot to say yeah so there's a lot to (laughs) say about the contemporary trainee experience that might not be reflected yet in policy settings or and there's just not enough stakeholder um consultation so when they like i'll give you the example this policy that we're trying to rewrite which is um i'll let you know in a month or so how that goes but um it was revised or reviewed End of, uh, I think it was end of 2018 or early 2019. What? Um, That's it was three in, years ago. Hold on. It was initially developed in, I think, 2010 or 12, this flexible train policy. It basically doesn't say anything about anything. And when it was reviewed and approved, it was rev- approved without any changes in 2019. Mm. So that means in 2019, which is not that long ago, they felt that this was fit for purpose. When it clearly wasn't. So now it's coming up for renewal again. I don't know whether to laugh or whinge or cry. Yeah. Um, that really, really got me fired up seeing that, coupled with my own experience and hearing the experience of other like friends and colleagues. And I just thought this is just completely inadequate. So, yeah, you know, that's why I'm really passionate about trying to um, change the policy. And failing that, I guess we're just – so how do you let, – let's just um, shift gears a little bit. Yeah, sure. How does one go about doing good gender equity advocacy work? Like are you doing it just by being a young female out there doing the presentations or are you speaking about the nature of the problem? Or what, Yeah, um, I, I guess I'm trying to attack it at as many angles as I can. Yep. I started off in the College of Physicians um, on a couple of um, committees and I found that trying to make change through being on these committees was – not really happening um there's a lot of red tape so i felt like that avenue wasn't super effective and then um just through social media i happened to connect with a number of other female physicians who are really passionate about this space and together we have been doing a lot of work as you've seen you've seen a lot of late night whatsapp and zoom calls um talking about how we can (laughs) participate in by yelling random things yeah how we can um 
you know, what what are the ways in which we can try to improve the experience of trainees in the future and improve the inequality issues? And so we've been, you know, seeking, uh, you know, consulting legislation, trying to look at employment law, um, consulting other colleges and seeing what they're doing, talking to lots of people, gaining, gathering testimonials from trainees. So we've actually got real feedback to give to the college. So all of that sort of thing. And any opportunity I get to speak around this topic, I do try to um, raise awareness about the issue. So I think I'm trying to just, you know, um, raise the profile of the issue as many different ways as I can. Um, And then, you know, in social media as well, I think that's a really powerful tool that is becoming more and more popular in medicine. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You you sort of approach it by trying to work inside the machine and now maybe it's more effective to work outside the machine and lobby in. Yeah, and I I think it's still trying to keep things – amicable because we want to see at the end of the day we just want to see something positive happen and we really don't want to have to be making threats or like litigating or whatever but I do think there is a lot of fire in a lot of people's hearts around this issue and so I do I don't think we're going anywhere fantastic very exciting some firebrand stuff I'm pumped (laughs) how can men um play a a good role in this i mean we talk a bit bit about he for she and sort of male champions of change a lot of that sounds like absolute garble like realistically how can men support uh women and not just professors or important medical people but people like me i mean so what do we do yeah i think um i think number one taking a chance on people so for example my um phd supervisor he, uh, I think he supervised one other female before me and it's not because he's refusing to supervise females. They're just not showing an interest in the field from my understanding. But he, you know, took a chance on me, he didn't know me um, and gave. he's given me a lot of fantastic opportunities and he's also worked with me really closely to try and navigate through um, returning to work after having a baby. So I'm really grateful to him for being so compassionate and um, supportive. So I think that's one really important thing, having someone that is accessible, who can be a mentor, who can um, be someone to rely on. And then I think um, it's it's other little things like day-to-day things. So if, for example, on social media, it's a good example. If you see someone's doing great things, just give them a shout out, um, promote what they're doing. You do it quite a bit. You interview quite a lot of um, impressive female entrepreneurs and people doing interesting things in the purpose-driven space. So I think you have to make a choice to do that. Yeah, and that's right. And I think it's not about saying, okay, I've interviewed this many females. Like it shouldn't have to be forced. It should just come naturally. Yeah, and it does. But I, but I think there's still that like decision. So, you know, we acknowledge that there's a it, – it's, it's not just about women either for me. It's about underrepresented groups yeah. having a voice. Yeah, absolutely. So no, I think um, I think there's a lot of individuals that are doing amazing things. And in the US, there's some really amazing he for she. I really do like the catchphrase he for she because I just think it encompasses really Don't you think, nicely. though, that there are some people who kind of are a bit two-faced and just sort of like greenwash it a bit? Like, um, oh, yeah, look at me. I'm a great male champion of change. And then they just sort of do nothing behind the scenes. I, I must admit in medicine, maybe I'm sounding naive, but I have to say the people who – genuinely are doing this in a repetitive like consistent fashion i seem genuine to me that's great and like we've got a new um college uh, sorry president of the cardiac society um and he he's actually going to be the head of the victorian heart hospital as well and he is a fantastic he for she so he's really trying to promote 
um, gender equity as well yep. and um, really supportive of female I trainees. I guess what I'm trying to get at is the optics. Like surely every man who has a public profile would want to be seen as a he for she. So how do you I don't think so. I actually really? think, the, I think the people who would not feel um, authentic about doing it are just not doing it. Interesting. So they're just the ones who aren't speaking out. They're like, I don't believe in this and I'm not going to pretend to. Okay. That's my. That's been my experience. That, that tends to be the more old-fashioned, um, conservative, you know, like people who um, may be not quite up to speed with where we're up to in the contemporary workforce. So what does the future hold for you in terms of both your, your research and your activism for the next uh, 12 months? 12 months. I guess that's a, that's not too far into the future to sort of forecast. Um Research-wise, I think you're just going to watch me slave away for another 12 months. <laughs> just keep updating I hope I Well, I hope some so of these – So you're running at the moment two randomised controlled trials, by the way. We should just – Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, no, I'm really passionate about them both and very, very grateful to work with some amazing patients who have been very generous to um, sort of allow us to follow them on their journeys. Um, we've got a couple of papers in the works. I'm hoping that some of them will not get rejected. So. Oh, babe, stop. <laughs> You're yourself. No, moment. no, just uh, it's a very demoralising process. Anyone who's Rejection in the PhD is hard space. For anyone, and you guys oh, have to cop a lot of those so, situations. It's very harsh. And yeah. sometimes you just get rejected with no feedback, and you're like, I don't know where to go with this. Yeah, it's rough. So, Or they say, this is great, but you're rejected. <laughs> I've worse. only ever dabbled at trying to submit a paper once and when they wrote back saying major revisions, I just cried and gave I'm up. pretty sure we wrote an article together. We did, but that wasn't advocate. a peer-reviewed journal. That's true. It so wasn't reviewed at all. That. I think it was just accepted. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Fair enough. It was on a very important topic. It was a very important topic, deprescribing. Yes, yep. Good times. Yep, it was. So anyway, so yeah, I think um, hopefully progressing the PhD a bit further uh, you go back full time next year. Yeah, I'm signing back in January, so Huge. I'm hoping Marlow going into full time childcare will be okay. Hopefully, the childcare subsidy will kick in. They at some bloody point. love Marlow at childcare. It's so funny. It's very cute. Um, I like all the updates. So when I'm at work, uh, the first few weeks was quite hard. I was really distracted, worrying about him constantly. Yeah. But now I, I find sometimes I've had like three or four hours. I haven't even thought of anything but what I'm doing, and then I feel guilty. <laughs> I haven't thought of him. But I really like that we can open up the no, app and I, I see what's out, happening. I hang out for it every day. I check yeah. it constantly from about 12 onwards and yep. I get angry if they haven't updated it. <laughs> That's my pattern. And then I immediately share whatever you the tell updates are. the with audience you. that um, Marlo had his first taste of solids at childcare? Yeah, he's eating banana. banana. It's a true story. He really likes You've probably heard about it already but it's it's definitely happening. Yeah. Yep. Banana consumption. I know for sure because one of his um, onesies was covered in banana. So I'm not sure how much <laughs> made it in the body but certainly on the outfit. That's amazing. And um, do you think you're going to win a lot more awards next year to <laughs> well, really embarrass funny. me about never you having You and I an talked award? about this, I'm pretty sure, last podcast years ago where we said we both don't win awards. Yeah, but now you win a lot of awards. Well, I wouldn't say a lot, but I've been uh, – I think I've had a lucky stretch. Oh, come on. And I think we'll just leave it at that. You're, award, you're by far the partner who's the prominent award-winning partner. You won a podcast I'm going to become a doctor to demean you slightly. <laughs> I'm going to become a doctor. You keep threatening that, but it hasn't I'm going to get a doctorate and a really – your topic, and then we'll both be Russian. Doctors, what was it? Russian, Russian history. History. Yeah. Uh, from the years nineteen ten to nineteen twenty, and yep. then we'll um we'll both be on planes, and one of us will be called upon to do emergency surgery, and it won't be me. <laughs> <laughs> might be you. It might be me, babe. How can people connect with you and learn a bit more about your wonderful work? Um. So I'm uh, probably surprisingly quite receptive to feedback. Yeah, you love it. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm on Twitter. Um. I'm on LinkedIn. What's your Twitter handle, babe? Uh, my 
Do you know? My Twitter handle is at Dr. Louise Segan. That's just DR, not the whole word. Yep. Yep. Uh, LinkedIn, um, I use. I don't really use You're Facebook much Segan anymore. LinkedIn, I think so. Yep. Yep. And um, uh, you, you can find me through the clinical trials websites, A and Z C T R. We've got both our clinical trials listed there. Yep. So if there's people that are interested to find out more about what, what we're doing. What about ResearchGate? Yeah, ResearchGate, good point. Yep. So how, did, how does it do? I don't work? think you can communicate on ResearchGate. You can't, but like can people that. read all your papers and see your impact um, factor? Uh, you can read the abstract form. So then if you want to find out more, you have to go How can people see your research trail and which institutions' websites are you on? Uh, The Baker Institute, Mm -hmm. so Baker Heart and Diabetes Institute. And actually I've just updated my bio so you'll be able to Mm. see um, what we're doing now. Yep. Mm. So more professional, actually professional photo. Impressive. And um, lost my train of thought. Oh, and um, uh, University of Melbourne and at the Alfred Hospital. You're everywhere. Louise, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Um, I would say goodbye, but we're both in bed already. I think so. we're going to watch um, something about Nexium shortly. Okay. Yeah, well, let's not give away all our viewing preferences <laughs> to the audience, but um, let's watch our show. And thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products, or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.